0: What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 43 of Stick to Hockey Live. Jason Martinez, Anthony DeMarco will join us in just a moment. Is this 43 or 44? I think I screwed up again. I think it's 44, but I'm uh, still a little under the weather. I tested positive today for COVID, so that's the first time for me to test positive. The line popped up in like 40 seconds. It was like neon sign. You have COVID. I was like, ah, fuck. But anyway. Um, a lot to talk about today, obviously. We'll further the discussion on the Ivan Provorov situation. Flyers back tonight to take on an absolute dog shit opponent in the Chicago Blackhawks. And uh, much more. A lot to talk about in this episode with Anthony DeMarco from the fourth Let me tell you about Cockerville Subaru. Oh, what a fantastic dealership. You know why? Cockerville, they actually care. They care about their customers. And it's not just some word they use. Well, they were the Subaru Nation love promise dealer of the year winner, the inaugural in 2015. And here's why they care, because they do support the local community in the best ways possible. Eight years supporting the Namor Children's Hospital of Delaware. Uh, they've adopted 15 classrooms again this year for Marcus Hook Elementary School, giving teachers $500 for classroom supplies. They continue the donation of thousands of coats to La Humanidad España and Kennett Square. They've done that for 10 years and continue it now as well. New Year's here. Great time to visit the beautiful showroom of Route 202 in Glen Mills. Check out their certified pre-owned inventory or pick from their Subaru vehicles on site, the 2023s, and take one out for a test drive. And as great as the dealership is, service department is stellar as well. Free car wash with every visit. So visit ConquervilleSubaru.com online. Check out the beautiful showroom of Route 202 in Glen Mills. And remember that Conquerville cares from the fourth Period.com, He comes to us north of the border. I wouldn't be allowed to travel there to see him right now because I'm positive. It is Anthony DeMarco. What's up, Ant? Nah, not too much, man.
1: I'm sorry to hear that you a positive for the vid, but uh, glad to see that
0: you're doing not too bad, all things considered. Yeah, it's been a whirlwind of a couple of days, to say the least, huh? Uh, You know what? Uh, Yeah, yeah. Uh,
1: Obviously, this is the biggest news in hockey right now. It's a massive issue, and it's unfortunate because I think it comes off the heels of a really popular and a very positive night that the Flyers put on. I think they did a really good job. Obviously, uh, James Van Riemsdyk and Scott Lawton were at the forefront of that. But unfortunately, it's uh, overshadowed by a lot of negativity, and rightfully so, of a uh, of Ivan Provov making a very unpopular decision. And I mean, you know, I was on TSN radio in Montreal yesterday. And uh, obviously, that's what we talked about for about 90% of my segment. It's what you're, they're talking about on Sportsnet up here, or, uh, Sports Center, TSN, Sport, Rogers Sportsnet. Yeah, like yeah, they're all talking about The whole nine yards. And you know what? Given the, the climate of uh, our world right now, I mean, I'm not really surprised. And Provarov
0: uh, had to know that this was coming. Yeah, he had to know there was going to be severe backlash. Let's talk about the positive of it real quick, because you mentioned it was a great night. And um, I just want to give major stick taps, obviously, to to Scott Lawton and James Van Reemsdijk. Also, whoever designed the jerseys, by the way, they were awesome. Like yep. I loved put the the rings in the numbers. I thought they just popped and looked fantastic. I was bummed out I couldn't be there for it because I was, you know, coming down with this thing. But um, you know, the way Scott Lawton handled himself after that game. The way he fielded the questions about Proveroff not um taking the warm-up and trying to accentuate the positive of the night and everything else and talking about the discussions, mm-hmm. I thought that he verbalized himself and the position of most of his team very well. Yeah, yeah. No, I think Scott Lawton over this season has proven
1: that, you know, he's you're probably looking at, and obviously I can't say this for sure, but I don't think it's hard to connect the dots. I think you're looking at probably the next captain of the Philadelphia Flyers. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, I'm a guy that, you know, from an on-ice perspective over the years, I've often thought that Scott Lawton was expendable. Like, how I made this joke yesterday that one of my worst takes ever that was that Connor Bonneman was making Scott Lawton expendable. Like, what the hell was that? <laughs> Fast forward 24 months, not a good look on myself. And, I, and then you're seeing why maybe Chuck Fletcher hung on to him at the 2021 NHL trade deadline, something that I think was very, not not, um, not a questionable move, let's say, but one that I think that given what Scott Long probably could have got you at the trade deadline, I think one that was fair to criticize a bit. But I think that there's a lot of off-ice antics, or not antics is the right word, but a lot of off-ice reasons as to why Scott Lawton is still here. And I think that on a team that has had so many reported locker room issues over the last number of seasons, I think Scott Lawton's one of those uh, shining lights through
0: all of it. And it's proving why that he may be the next captain here. You know, the thing that I, I wonder about it, is, you know, he, ver- like I said, he verbal verbalized or articulated his thoughts really well. And, you know, he's always been a really good talker. You know, not, not going to tell you a ton. He's not going to peel the cream back and, you know, expose anything because um, that's what, you know, hockey players do. They protect the room. But I wondered if this happened when Giroux was the captain. Everybody knows how I feel about Giroux. I'm a huge Giroux fan. And, but his comfort... Lang- linguistically, <laughs> I wonder if he would have been able to handle those questions as the captain had this happened under his watch with the same kind of, you know, succinct thoughts. You know, I, I spoke about that several times last year.
1: And I, look, I'm never going to sit here and say Giroux was the problem or a bad captain for, for two reasons. One, I'm not there, I'm not in the room. And B, I just don't think I don't believe it to be true. But that being said, I always said, though, that I believe that after a certain time, when Giroud was still there after so much, I often wondered, for guys like Lawton and guys like Konechny, and I even grouped in Sanheim and Ivan Provrov in this, is like, was there a bit of a resistance from them to maybe say what they wanted to say because they looked across the room and there was this long-standing captain there? And you could have made that case when... Jake Vorchek was still on the team or even Sean Couturier, because let's be honest, Sean Couturier hasn't been a part of the on ice team for 13 months now or how, however long it's been. And I think that and I believe it was you said it or Charlie O'Connor said it on your show or maybe just over the couple of uh, over the last couple of months is that even a guy like Travis Konechny has really seemed to change his entire vibe, the way he plays, the way he acts. Since Giroux left, and look, this is not me saying that, oh, Claude Giroux was this big toxic figure in the locker room and he had to go for everyone else to excel. That's not what I'm saying. But I think that inherently sometimes when, let's say, older veterans, specifically captains move on, it kind of makes everyone else around them have a, almost like a subconscious elevation of their leadership skills. Mm -hmm. And I think that I I often equate what's going on in Philadelphia to, to, to Toronto, maybe because I'm up here in Canada and I saw it. But I remember when they were going through that rebuild and that retool. And slowly but surely, they edged out all the former leaders on that team, like Dion Phaneuf and Phil Kessel and Tyler Bozak, and even a guy like James Van Riemsdijk, who has proven to be a very good locker room guy, a true professional. And I don't think that you're moving on from James Van Riemsk and Dion up because they're bad guys, but maybe it's just because you need to not liberate them. Yeah, yeah, you have to liberate that ro- that room in the room to have yeah.
0: the new guys take that spot, and I think that's kind of what's going on here. Yeah, because, I mean, Drew casts the big shadow. I mean, he's got all these records within the organization, was the name of the marquee for uh, more than a decade. So, you know, when he leaves, it does. It's a passing of the baton to a new group. It's a the dawn of a new day um, from a dynamic standpoint. And it's not like you said, it's not like the players didn't like him or he was a bad leader. It's now different and sometimes different is good. Um, let's talk about, you know, uh, the center of tentacles of the, the pro Raw thing that I think are still interesting. And people are still talking about, you know, this notion there, there's this thing going around on Twitter that looks like standard boilerplate NHL contract. And, I, I saw it yesterday and somebody sent it to me. and I sent it to a former player and an agent. And um, that is not current standard boilerplate NHL contract. And when you look at it and you see something that says as simply, um, I mean, you imagine in a contract for an NHL player in this day and age that it said "b" to keep yourself in good physical condition at all times during the season. It's not going to read like that. And then the part that they're highlighting is to cooperate with the club and participate in any and all reasonable promotional activities of the club, which will, in the opinion of the club, promote the welfare of the club, and to cooperate in the promotion of the league and professional hockey generally. Um, to me, I think this is probably old, from an old boilerplate contract, but um, it still, you know, it doesn't. No contract forces participation in anything, per se. There are yeah. ramifications. And I know a lot of people wanted Provorov bench. And, and Torts spoke today and spoke to the point that, you know, they, they pretty much knew this was coming and they were working through it. And I'm sure they went through all their lawyers, like Freed said on a Merrick show yesterday, to, to see if they could just scratch him from the game. Yeah, because if they just scratched him from the game, maybe the issue never even arises. You know, that they know that he didn't, he was scratched because he didn't, want to take warm up in the Jersey. And so you just write it off as, Oh, he just must not be dinged up or it was a coach's decision, but there is, you're opening yourself up for legal um, recourse because you cannot punish somebody based on religion and their beliefs. And I know people don't want to hear that. And, and like I said on flyers daily and I, I tackled it, people were like, Oh, there's no way you're going to touch it. And I did tackle it. Not everybody liked what I had to say, I respect that he did what he did and he has the right to do it. It doesn't mean I have to like it. And I was incredibly disappointed in the guy. Somebody tweeted me and said, I'm sure Ross really disappointed that you're disappointed. in him." So I tweeted him back and said, I'm equally as disappointed. I'm that you're disappointed in me. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm disappointed that, you know, that this still kind of happens with some people, but look, you see on social media that a lot of people are glad he did it. And look, that's fine too. You can have your opinions, those are all you can. You're entitled to your own opinion, but th- I think people look at him and go, "Well, they should have benched him." This is where tort screwed up, or the organization screwed up. I don't think they could have benched him. I front. I think it's because he cited religion.
1: I don't know if you could go down that road. Like I, like I, I believe it was Darren Dreger was talking on TSN 1050 radio yesterday. And he basically said because he cited religion, and again, I'm paraphrasing here, and I believe it was Drake. Yeah, it it kind of protects him. Do I think that it's entirely based on religion? Probably not. I I think it was Michael Russo on the Athletics Hockey Show yesterday cited that Kaprizov and Kulikov and Vasilevsky are all Russian Orthodox, and they've all worn these jerseys. Mm -hmm. And look, I'm going to preface everything I'm saying that I unequivocally do not agree with Ivan Provorov's stance. And I think that what he did was just unfortunate and I don't agree at all. But like you said, you have to, I don't like to use this word, but for lack of better terms, you kind of have to respect him exercising his right to, to freedom of speech. I think that, and I think Bundy laid it out really well on snow, the goalie, and I would encourage everyone to go listen what he had to say, but I think the worst part about this and it's not even the worst part, right? Because there's so many bad parts, but one of the biggest issues here is the fact that he chose to do this on such a grand stage and hijack something that was so much bigger than him. You know, nobody was asking Provo to go to an LGBTQ plus rally. No one was asking him to make a personal donation no one was asking him to go to a parade. You were asking him to put on a jersey for 15 minutes. And even if you thir- – like, look, let, let's call a spade a spade. Jay, he's not the only guy who shares these beliefs in the NHL. Not let's either. be honest. There's not no way. Golf. And that's an unfortunate – that's just an unfortunate reality. Yeah. And they're just like there's probably a lot of racists in the NHL that we don't yeah. know about. And you know your what? favorite
0: athletes for, for liberals are Trumpers. Yeah, exactly. if, if you hate Trump, some of your favorite athletes are Trumpers. It's just hundred percent. Look,
1: Bobby Orr is Bobby Orr is a in, endorsed Donald Trump. So, I mean, and whatever you believe as much as I may disagree, as much as Joe may disagree, as much as Nancy may disagree, whoever you have the right to those beliefs and there, that's your business unfortunately
0: Provorov made it everyone's business yeah unfortunately it became the overriding story which overrode the the intent of the night in some ways it gets the night more exposure because of the controversy but that's not a great thing I don't think that's a great thing that's not a, that's not a feather in the cap of what happened you know the, the thing that and, and I can go well on social media and eh, it's just social media and the people, are outraged and I understand. But when I see guys like EJ radical on NHL network and say that he should be basically shipped out of the country and has to go fight in the war for Russia because he didn't, because he made that decision. Now you're going too far. Like I, I don't like the decision. I would have liked him not to play in the game. I'd like there to be a consequence, but I understand that it's a belief in there's not always a consequence to an action you don't like, but like, Going on NHL Network and saying that the guy should be sent back to Russia and sent to war, like what are we doing here? Like, get well, a hold be- of yourself, EJ. You got to be a little more educated than that. Because you also don't want to stoop to if you're
1: going to grandstand and say that I'm better than someone or we're better than Russians or whatever. You can't then subsequently stoop to their level for lack of better words. Yeah, and and look. I'm not a real like I'm born Roman Catholic, right? Like my grandparents came from Italy. So there are a lot of Roman Catholics who are homophobes. I have family members who are homophobes, but I also have multiple family members that are part of the LGBTQ community. So you can't just cast a grand carpet over the whole or a blanket over the entire like religious thing and say, well, these guys aren't Russian or or Russian Orthodox and they don't believe in that and say, well, then Provorov can like, I'm a Catholic, but I don't believe in that. And Mm -hmm. to the same point, and uh, to the same point, I don't pretend to understand religion. I'm again, I'm Catholic. Technically I'm the farthest guy from a practicing Catholic you'll find. And because I think a lot of it is nonsense, but I do also think that you have to
0: appreciate other people's beliefs in it maybe he is you don't have to agree with them but you exactly you have to allow them to have their beliefs it just because we don't agree i mean as the uh former theology student of the year award winner at malvern prep (laughs) in my freshman year of high school i used to catch a lot of shit for this when i was working with Mike Messina on the radio because somebody sent him a picture of the plaque at the school where I was the outstanding student in theology. Um, <laughs> basically because I was I would I would argue with the Augustinian fathers. Um but yeah, I mean th- there's elements of my faith and I, I'm Roman Catholic as well. You know, my my mom was 100% Irish, you know, Irish Catholic. And th- there's elements of my faith that I don't agree with and it's not that I pick and choose the elements that I want. I, I pick and choose the ones that I think are relevant today and that needed to evolve. That's my point. So um, ultimately though, it comes down to, you know, Tort said this didn't tear his locker room apart in an interview yesterday on the radio on the fanatic. He said in some ways it it kind of brought them together because they had a lot of discussions and a lot of conversations happened prior to and after this happened. Um, but as we know, he he's alienated himself from that locker room even before this. What does this do? You know, we've heard about potential trade of Proveroff through Frege. What does this do to his value across the league? Because any team, you know, this is fresh right now. And eventually everybody will move on to the next thing. It happens yeah. really fast in today's society. The guy that's the, you know, for lack of a better term, the what's the thing you hit with the stick with the candy in it? Um, oh, Pinata, yeah. He's the pinata today, but there'll be a new one as soon as somebody else fucks up tomorrow or does something distasteful or that people don't like, and it comes off the headlines, and that's our cycle. But any place that he would get traded to, you know, one of the the media is going to ask him immediately, "Has your stance on this changed?" I mean, it's going to be a talking point. It's going to follow him for the rest of his career.
1: Yeah, and look, it's unfortunate, but in professional sports, typically talent reigns. Like how many incidents in the NFL have been brushed under the rug and someone's been able to continue playing? And look at the NHL. Tony D'Angelo has found two homes since what went on in New York. I remember when Evander Kane had his contract terminated in San Jose and signed with the Edmonton Oilers a couple weeks or not even a month later last year. And Connor McDavid made a comment that everyone was very upset about, and they moved on. And look, the, the situations aren't apples to apples, and you can make the case that Provorov's um, problems are much worse than what happened with D'Angelo and Evander Kane, or anything that's ever happened before. And I could see that argument as well. But I, I think that eventually, like you're like you said, people will move on, and Provorov will always have a dark shadow over him. And I think it's unfortunate that he's chosen to make this decision so young in his career. And look, I know he's been in the league for seven, eight years or whatever already, but he is only 26 years old and a guy that from an on-ice perspective, I think has a lot more to give and in a different situation could be more of an impact player. But he's made his own bed here. He's made his own bed and he has to live with the consequences. And it, like a lot of people said, it's his right to choose and believe and, and voice and exercise any belief that he may have. But he also has to live with the consequences because like you said, you disagree with it. I disagree with it. It doesn't mean that the guy has to have death threats or being told that he should go back to Russia and serve in the military. I think that is going too far, but I do think that he should be criticized for it because I think it's, it is something that is a, In my opinion, and again, this is my opinion, it's a very archaic and outdated belief. And like you said, there are aspects of religion that are amazing, and there are aspects of it that are nonsensical. And I think that this is something that is nonsensical for choosing to go against a certain group
0: of people for just being who they are. And that's my belief on it. Um, Well said. Um, Torch spoke today and was asked about it further um he said i he said as i said Proview did nothing wrong just because you don't agree with his decision doesn't mean he did anything wrong and he said let me put it to you this way in my experience i think it was back in 16 when i was asked a question about the flag when kaepernick was sitting he wasn't kneeling he was just sitting at that time they asked me if a player sits what would you do during the anthem and what i did what i said was that the player would sit the rest of the game. I was wrong. I learned a lot through that experience. My feelings towards any type of protest to the flag during the anthem, it disgusts me to this day. It disgusts me, it shouldn't be done. Those are my feelings, but I can't push those feelings onto someone else. So I was wrong in saying that back then. Didn't realize I was, but as I went through it all, it's was, quote, who am I to push my feelings onto someone else? And, you know, a lot of people cited that and um, when this happened and how towards handled it after the after the game and said, this is the same guy that said he'd sit a player for uh, for um, protesting during the anthem in the NHL. They don't realize like he changed his stance on that. The story came out in 2020 that he changed his stance on that. I think he talked about it when he was on TV. Yeah. And that's where it came from. Um, but people grab onto the the part where the negative negative in 16. But they don't add the context of 2020 and his it's not an about face. You know, he's disgusted by it, but he he knows he can't force his opinion on other people and his experience on other people. Yeah, and I think that it's a very good
1: example. And look, obviously the protest to the flag and protesting the LGBTQ pride night is two very different things. Did One, he
0: protest it or did he just not endorse it. Yeah, because he didn't I mean, speak out against it, um, but he didn't participate in it.
1: I think that Provorov could have done himself a lot of favors if he would have just, after the game, done more than just say two sentences on it. I think that was him kind of saying, like, "What? Like this isn't a big deal, and you guys shouldn't make it a big deal." No. I think that if he would have explained his why more people would have thought it was more, not not even acceptable, but they would have been more accepting of it. Yeah, well, it was almost dismissive is, is
0: the problem people had with it, I think. And
1: that that's the issue. And I think that that's how he's come off in behind the scenes to like, besides this issue. But I do think what tort said that in a nutshell is true that he, that you, just because you don't, don't believe it doesn't necessarily make it wrong in a vacuum. But again, if you ask again, I'll use myself personally, because this is all a personal belief thing. Is it wrong to do what he did? I think it was personally, because I think that nobody was asking you, like I said, to make a donation or go to a rally or go to a parade or make a speech or anything like that. You just asked to respect a community and respect the initiative that your teammates were trying to do. And I think that what he did was put his team, his coach, his teammates in a very bad situation. But again, that's just my opinion. And like you said, it's not like he overtly protested it. He said that he respects everyone's choices, but people have to respect his. So I get what Torts is saying. And it's unfortunate, but you have to accept that
0: aspect of this whole situation as
1: unfortunate as it may be
0: the quickest way to have a locker room turn against you is for everybody in that locker room have to answer for something that a decision that you made exactly and 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 that's what happened so many players had to be asked about you know the decisions the decision that he made and because and because he only gave a very brief answer they had to expound on it further. Like Lawton gave a, a ton on it. I mean, yeah. I don't think Lawton answered a hockey question in in his post game. Um, so, but you know, it's uh, it's a story that's not run its cycle yet, and we'll see where it goes. And um, they play tonight against Chicago. And what's what's the ovation going to be for Ivan Provorov when he's introduced? Can't imagine it's going to be good. I mean,
1: yeah. he wasn't exactly the most beloved player in the city before this. It's See, not like
0: there's, there's elements of his, like there are elements of his ho- hockey off that people love though. Like that toughness and, you know, we'll play through stuff, rub some dirt on it, you know, work his butt off. He, he's incredibly diligent about his craft, incredible shape. I mean, the guy takes off about two days after the season from skating and then gets right back on the ice. And there's elements of, you know, Things that Philadelphia fans love, but and some Philadelphia fans love that he did this. You know, let's not let's be honest. Yeah, so. if we shift it to the on ice part of
1: Provrov, which again is completely secondary, but if we just look at the hockey player, I've always been of the belief that people have been way too critical of him just because you're essentially mad at a guy who's playing well above his head and has been playing well above his head since he entered the NHL. That's essentially what this is, is that he's a guy that's been deployed as an undisputed number one for the entirety of his NHL career. And I think that save for two seasons, he's proven that he's not a number one. I think he's a good number two. A lot of people say he's a good number three. I think you're splitting hairs at that point, but whatever. And I think a lot of it kind of comes down to this is a, lower version of what we saw with Rasmus Ristolainen in Buffalo is that you saw a guy with a lot of hype drafted in the top 10 of their respective drafts come in and multiple coaches over deploy the shit out of them and they don't live up to those expectations. Like I said, the difference with Provrov is that his results have been much better than than, um, Ristolainen's and on two separate seasons, he's proven to be a number one defenseman. But I mean, again, if you take out all the off-ice antics, all the rumors about him maybe being upset about his power play deployment and all that, certainly what went on a few nights, I don't know how you could ever be upset at a guy who is being overutilized by a coach. I just, I never really understand understood that. It was kind of like when people shit all over Brian Elliott in 2017-18 because he was the number one goalie and he was breaking down and he came back and he shit the bed in the playoffs, I would be like, yeah, I mean, he's not doing well, but I don't see how it's his fault that Dave Haxtell started him 13 games in a row or whatever it was. Yeah. And I think that's kind of like
0: what's going on with Provorov here from an on ice perspective, of course. Yeah, I agree. Um, Let's move on because they they play against Chicago tonight. Um, And Chicago, if you want to look for a team that's, pretty outwardly tanking. I mean, look at their offseason, look what they moved, right? They moved out and uh we'll see if they end up moving Kane if he gets healthy. And right now they're they got twenty-eight points. They're the worst team in the league. Um they actually have a better winning percentage than Columbus. Columbus has played two more games in this 28 points. Actually no they have yeah they have a better winning percentage points percentage. Columbus has a three eighteen. Gaudreau didn't fix everything there in Columbus. I know they're injured too <laughs> but Jesus they have no goaltending as well, but yeah. um, Chicago right now ranked as the 32nd team in the NHL with the high odds to draft Connor Bedard, and and I I went looking at this. and I, I brought this up on, on Fire Daily. I looked at NHL draft lottery results since they were brought into the league back in 1995, and so I go okay. Let me let me look and see how impactful the number one overall pick has been, and you get variations of number one overall pick. I mean, in '95, the first one was Brard Br- uh, East, uh, taken by um, the Ottawa Senators, right? And you look at, uh, you know, Chris Phillips was the number one pick by Ottawa. Some of these guys good like Joe Thornton, great player, never won a cup. And then you get to, there's a run here from 2003 through 2008, where the number one overall pick, they all have cups. Marc-Andre Fleury's got multiple, Ovechkin's got one, Crosby's got three. Even Eric Johnson's got one now. Um Patrick Kane has three. Steven Stamkos has two. Then from 09 till last year, and some of these it's way too early to judge them on cups, obviously. There's only one guy that was drafted number one overall that's got a cup, and that's Nathan McKinnon from the 13 draft. Tavares, nope, not even a, I don't think even a playoff round win. Taylor Hall, Nugent Hopkins, Yakupov, McKinnon, as I mentioned, Ekblad at the draft in Philly uh, was number one, McDavid in uh, 15, Matthews and sixteen, Heisher, Dalene, then you get to these recent guys: Jack Hughes, Lafreniere, Owen Power, and Slavkoski. But only one has won a cup since. Uh, since I mean, geez, you're looking at a large sample size here. Since 2009, is you know this the salary cap effect on the league that one player doesn't have that same impact, and because of that one player if he's a great player, he's going to make a ton of money. It's hard now to build a team to win a cup. I think it's a very well-founded point.
1: You know, you look at the Edmonton Oilers and they've drafted, they what they drafted four times first overall in a span of like six or seven years or whatever it was. And I remember in 2018, when they moved on from Peter Chiarelli and they moved on from Tom McClellan. And I remember their CEO, Bob Nicholson, Saying something in a press conference, like there's something in the water here, we gotta figure it out. And that was three years post drafting McDavid and four years post drafting Leon Drycidadal. And I think that in a lot of these situations, and I use Edmonton because they've drafted first overall so many times since the two thousand five lockout,
0: except
1: three in a row and then you draft Drycidadal. I think he was third overall and then mm-hmm. McDavid first overall or whatever, and then not to mention Pugliarvi, who was fourth overall, that when, you, when you're drafting that high at that frequency, it typically means that a big losing culture is set in. And a big losing culture, and Jason Greger said this on Frank Cervalli's podcast, the DFO Rundown, is that a, a, for fans, especially if you've never played the game at a high level, it's hard to understand what a losing culture will do to a room. And, like, look at, like, I've had a lot of fans tell me, well, you know, the Flyers can't even tank, right? Like, look at what the way the Ducks are doing. Like, they should be doing everything. And it's like, okay, fine. Ducks are tanking to epic proportions, one of the worst teams I've ever seen. But look at what happened with the Buffalo Sabres in fourteen fifteen. Every time a goalie made a save, they traded them. Jonas Enroth, Michael Neuvirth, whoever. They did everything they could to get Jack Eichel and they ruined that locker room and along the they way they get austin matthews right I, they did it to get mcdavid david and they ended up with them. yeah yeah and they ended up with eichel who is still a very good hockey player not generational but still a very good hockey player but how many players did you sacrifice along the way because again ryan you O'Reilly. had dra- ryan o'reilly you had you sacrificed sam reinhardt who you drafted second overall the year before yeah. you really screwed up the development of a guy like Rasmus Ristolainen who I think that again small sample size but with some consistent coaching has proven that he could be a solid 4 or 5 defenseman so how much damage collateral damage did you do by just trying to get that that big time first overall pick player and i and i was talking about this the other day with somebody where i said the flyers have a lot of players on this roster that are going to be here beyond next season or the year after that? Like how many players could you really point to that Ross right now and say, there's no chance they're here next year?
0: Honestly. Yeah. I don't think you can make that determination on, on really anybody at this point. Like maybe JVR because of his contractual situation. And obviously Braun, but Braun,
1: Zach McEwen, maybe. Yeah. like That's even
0: a question to me.
1: Yeah. That's a question. Patrick Brown, like Kevin Hayes, kind of, but even Kevin Hayes. Like, I think that they'll trade him if they get the opportunity, but I think that he's turned his game around. Yeah. I, I posted this stat the other day. Like, the guy has, like, 23 goals and 48 points over his last 92 regular season games. Wow. Like, he's playing good hockey. Yeah. So, it's not like, like, if you go look at the Chicago Blackhawks roster, they don't have a single forward signed beyond 2024. There are no players on that team right now, forward specifically, that you can unequivocally say they're part of the future here. And that was evident what they did last summer. They traded two young players in Kirby Doc and Alex Dabrinka because yeah. they said, we want nobody who could possibly be a future piece here to be a part of what we're going to do. Ditto with Arizona Coyotes. They're doing it's the like, same 24
0: thing. 24 years old, 23? Drafted
1: in 2016. Doc yes. was drafted in 2019. Yeah. Like they're young players. <laughs> so it, unless the Flyers were prepared to trade Travis Konecny, Travis Sanheim, probably Carter Hart, yep. Joel Farabee, Owen Tippett, Wade Allison, Noah Cates, Ivan Provorov, Got the on. list goes on and on. I don't know how you could have thought that the tank was a possibility here. And the last thing I'll say on it is that, like, yeah, would a Bedard be great? Obviously, just like a McDavid would be great or a Matthews would be great. I'm not saying that. But if you let's say look at 2015, because is it fair to say that this draft is the best draft since
0: 2015? Yeah. Or they're projecting it to be? better. It's it's better overall, and it's got the high-end piece as well. So, yeah. So would you rather get a McDavid or an Eichel and risk
1: what happened in Buffalo and Edmonton over the succeeding five years because I think both teams have started to turn a corner from where they were in the late 2010s. Or would you instill a winning culture, already have a large nucleus in place, but admittedly missing those high-end pieces, of course, but still have like Konechny and Tippett and Cates and all those guys, and get someone like Matthew Barzell or Kyle Connor. Or Thomas Shabbat? And I think that's a question that's worth Pasternak discussing. 25. <laughs> or draft Posternak at 25.
0: I think it's just a conversation worth having. That's yeah. all. I think here's the thing that I, and I totally agree with you is this, is, you know, just snapping your fingers and saying, okay, now it's our time to start winning. And okay, we snap our fingers. Okay, now we want to start winning now and have the culture go with it it doesn't just it's not something you can just say or draw a line and say from now on it has to be all throughout because i agree with you if you have that culture of losing it's not something you can just wash out of your hair (laughs) you know what i mean you got to shave your head and regrow it and it takes a long time which is what torts i think is trying to do this year because some of that culture of not 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 that they had a losing culture; they lost, but um, they weren't trying to. That was failure. That's different. Um, but you know, when you see what what Chicago did and trading DeBrinkett and Doc, I mean, those are two pieces that should be a part of your future. Like I got an email from a guy for Flyers Daily. He said, "You know, why are they saying trade guys like Konechny and guys like?" you know, Frost and these young guys, like they're young. They can be part, add to them, add to the guys you see like that are part of the solution and then add to it. Don't create more holes because yeah, you get the high end piece, but now you got nothing else.
1: And I think that there, and I think we saw it first, firsthand here in Philly where let's say you rewind to 2014, 15, which was the first year of Ron Hexall where he really started doing his whatever the fuck he was doing, retool on the fly, whatever you want to call it, where they had two high-end pieces. Giroux and Vorchek were high-end forwards. Were they elite? I think Vor Giroux teetered that for a bit. I think Vorchek, you can make the case, teetered that for a bit. But they had nothing else. Their defense was a disaster. I think they had adequate goaltending. I think Steve Mason was a really, really good in 14-15. But, you know, you have Braden Shen, who was like a solid second line player and Wayne Simmons, who was a solid second line player, but more power play contributor and not a whole lot else. Like Sean Katori wasn't anything more than an all defense 3C at that time. So you had the high end pieces back then, but you had nothing else and it didn't work. And look at the Edmonton Oilers. I think, again, they're starting to turn a corner now, but they have had arguably the two best players in the world. For the last five years, you can make that determination and they've gotten out the first round twice. And you look at that roster now and obviously Evander Kane was out, he returned, but he was out for a large stretch. So he's a part of that as well. But after their top four forwards, I think there was like a 28 point drop off. And that's yeah. a team that's still to this day. I don't know if you can make the determination is a cup contender. And they've had these two guys since 2015. So yes, the high-end pieces are 100% necessary. But let's not pretend that the depth doesn't matter. You need that depth as well. You can't... And I think the Flyers have a good nucleus of depth. And even beyond the roster that they have, I think they have good depth in their system. I always cite the discussion you and Alex Appleyard had, that they probably have second, third line, second pair, third pairing talent coming out of their ass for the next five years. But you need that high end piece. Yeah. But
0: uh, yeah, there's more than a few teams in that, in that mix. You know, it's not just Edmonton too. It's the Toronto Maple Leafs. They have these four great forwards. They have all the high end, but they can't build the the rest of the roster. And that's what wins in the playoffs. And that's why Tampa was so great because, I mean, the one year you barely even had Stamkos, but I mean, you have Braden Point, you had Kucherov, you have an all-world defenseman in Hedman, you got that goalie back there that any mistake you make, he's going to bail you out of anyway. John and, Link. <laughs> yeah, you yeah, yeah, McDonough. And you had all. I mean, you had Sergachev on a third pair, right? I mean, th- that team and Palat and Chernat, all those guys. I mean, th- that's why that team was good because they had all of those pieces. And there's a lot of these teams with with all the high end elements, but don't have, you know, the requisite roster to win in the playoffs. And I think that's what makes hockey special, too. And the Stanley Cup playoffs, you know, so intriguing is that teams with just high end pieces, you know, those high end pieces, yeah, they may score a lot of points, but they may not be able to lead you through rounds in the playoffs. It's a different ball game. It's like the NBA becomes a different a possession by possession league in the playoffs and the NHL it becomes, you know, a sum of parts league in the playoffs. So you know, and that's with, again, you need that high end pieces. You need them. Yeah. Right?
1: And, the, yeah the, and that's important to say as well. This is not to say that the Flyers don't need that high end piece. And, you know, if you, I had this discussion with someone the other day, if they start, let's say not trading JVR or refusing to entertain calls for Hayes or, by go- by some unfortunate <laughs> um, turn of events, they try and acquire someone for a push for the playoffs. I think that's the wrong decision. Yeah. hundred percent.
0: Sure. Yeah. which
1: I, I don't think that they will. I think that they realize what this team is. I think that they hope to prove that it's better than what people thought they were, i.e. a bottom dweller. But I don't think that there's this like false hope that they are going to, you know, go on this miraculous run for the playoffs. If they stay the course and they trade JVR for whatever you're going to get, you trade Braun for whatever you're going to get, maybe you find a suitor for Hayes, Dale for Provorov, and they just organically finish 10th in the Eastern Conference, but you see developments from guys like Noah Cates and Morgan Frost and Owen Tippett and Wade Allison and York and whatever, I can't look at this season and say it's a failure because you didn't do everything you possibly could to get Bedard. Yeah. Because for of them to done everything to put themselves in the same conversation as Arizona, as Chicago, as um, who are we just talking about here? The Ducks who we just saw, they would have had to trade half a dozen players minimum, minimum, like, and you would have had to hire a not good coach, which I mean, a lot of people have said John Tortorella wasn't the right coaching hire because he was going to do exactly just this. Which, I mean, in a lot of ways, I can see that argument. But I disagree because I don't think that this was a team that had nothing. I don't think that this was a team that, let's say, in like let's say uh, when Paul Holmbrum stepped aside and Hextall took over, what they had on the roster is what they had full stop. They had nothing else. I think that's why you saw guys like Boyd Gordon and Vandevelde and Belmar and Matt Reed and all these random players that filter through their yeah. bottom six for so many years hang around because they had nobody else like a hell i remember when nick cousins came up in 2015 and we were all doing yippee kayas because they're just like oh my god look a homegrown talent player actually being a relevant player but i do think that there's something to be said that fletcher and even ron hextall drafted a lot of middle of the road guys who I think will be able to contribute to this team beyond
0: this season. Yeah, Eiserman drafted Kucherov, fifty eighth overall, point seventy ninth overall. I mean, what a finding point there too. I mean, Kucherov at fifty eight is that's criminal what he did. But then you got to yeah. draft him, and you got to develop him too. It's it's all part of the equation. Or Kaprizov and, in what the fifth round or whatever it was. Yeah, sheesh. Yeah, think about that. And ben Panarin undrafted. <laughs> Absolutely right? crazy! It's the bananas. Um, great stuff, and we'll see what happens tonight. Busy weekend too. Detroit Saturday on the road, and then Sunday against the Peg. Um, they're a good team as well. Pegs is the top good of division right now, so and I like the goaltender. Um, I'm hoping I'm cleared to go on Sunday because I like, you know, there's certain goalies when they come to town. I go, oh, when he comes to town, second period, I'll be on that Zamboni entrance glass, yeah. so I get an up close look at the, at them play. I've seen him a few times. But, man, he's fun to watch.
1: Actually, I like one more point before I head out here about the yeah. leadership thing, going back yep. to, like, Giroux and all that. Mm-hmm. Winnipeg stripped Blake Wheeler of the captaincy going into the season. He's having a hell of a season, and Winnipeg has rebounded in a big way, and a lot of people, myself included, thought that they needed a rebuild. So sometimes it doesn't have to do with who the captain is or what how good that captain may be. Sometimes you just need a fresh face
0: leading that room. That's all I'm going to say. Yep. All right, brother, hey, everybody. feel better. Pretty right? good, man. Thanks, brother. Appreciate it. Stay from easy. the fourth period.com. There he is, Anthony DeMarco. Um, a lot of conversation today on some subjects that, you know, we didn't want to talk about, but we needed to talk about and we did. So um, coming up on tomorrow's episode, by the way, we got the first stick to hockey fan forum. We've got three guys coming on and I'm going to do this again next Friday as well, because I've gotten an overwhelming response from people that want to be on the fan forum. Um, so tomorrow we're going to have Dan Marcus, Mitchell McElhenney and Brian Satino will be our fan forum guests. And we're going to have a round table discussion on all kinds of things, the state of the franchise, uh, talk about everything, Tortorella, you know, uh, where the team's going, where they should go, where what's right, what's wrong, all that stuff. And we'll have that on tomorrow's Friday episode of stick to hockey live. And, um, if you do want to get in on one of the uh, fan forums, and I'm, I'll try and do as many as I can. We'll do them for a couple of weeks if we have to. So I'd like to give everybody the opportunity that wants to do it and wants to have a voice on it. The only things are that you just need to be available at the time we do it because we do it live. Um, you will be on camera. Um, so please try and be in a, in a place that's we we can hear you well and you know be at least well-spoken enough to get your points across. Don't talk over each other. Um, and, uh, we'll do these and let the, let the fans have a voice because everybody's got a voice on social media, but that's typed in 140 characters. Like sometimes you need to articulate a point to get it out there, to articulate your opinion on something. You can do that. Some can do that better. Some can't, but, um, we'll do that. So if you want to get involved in the fan forum going forward beyond tomorrow, you can always DM me on Twitter at Jason Mert, uh, shoot me a DM, shoot me more than, hey, I'd like to be in the fan form Just say why you'd like to be in the fan form, you know, give me a little bit more than I got some responses that, said, hey, I, I'm in for the fan form, but it's an egg account. I don't know anything about you. Um, so please uh, give me a little bit of reasoning why you'd like to be in there. Or if you want to email me, myrtet M-Y-R-T-E-T-U-S at gmail.com. And we'll get more people involved in that as well. So I'm looking forward to that tomorrow. So join us. it be at 1 o'clock tomorrow. We'll do the Flyers Fan Forum. Great time to visit Conquerville Subaru on Route 202 in Glen Mills. Get down, check out the great dealership. It is beautiful. And uh, check out the great certified pre-owned inventory, all the new Subaru vehicles on lo- on the lot. Take one for a test drive. And check out the service department wire there. It is sensational. Free car wash for whatever you visit. You get all the details on ConquervilleSubaru.com. Visit the showroom at Route 202 in Glen Mills and remember the Bill Pairs. No We're back tomorrow. Another brand new edition, our first Flyers Stand Forum. On the, another edition, it'll be episode 45, because this is 44 of Stick to Hockey Live. Everybody, have a great day. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Clamp down with your iron face Drugs can conveniently Available for all the kids Following